Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA-certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. I am so grateful to uh, be recording this new episode for you uh, on this particular morning, at least when I'm recording it. Maybe you're listening to it at another part of the day. Uh, Regardless, I'm so happy that you've tuned in. Uh, If you are a member of Stonington Baptist Church, thank you so much. I hope this is a resource for you to strengthen your faith and your walk with God. And uh, even if you're not a member of Stonington Baptist Church, thank you uh, for listening. I hope you're encouraged uh, by the fact that we can uh, be uh, be being worked on by the same Holy Spirit uh, and how He is informing us in our walks with Him and chiseling us, molding us, shaping and fashioning us into the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So thank you. Uh, I hope this is an encouragement to you. Uh, that's what all these episodes really are. 
um, is just times where we can be encouraged. And hopefully you can be encouraged by uh, just the things that I'm able to share, uh, the resources that I'm able to point you to, and that your faith uh, will be able to uh, be anchored in the certainty of who God is and what God has done and what God has declared about himself. That's sort of the theme for today's episode. Uh, the certainty of faith, holding fast to faith when it doesn't make sense. Um, so I hope to get there momentarily. Uh, just a couple of words of housekeeping. Um, I just returned from a much-needed vacation uh, to South Carolina, so I spent eight days in uh, the upstate of South Carolina with my family, my parents and sister and brother. Uh, the kids and Natalie and I were uh, made the trek down there the Sunday of the 5th, so Labor Day weekend, spent some days down there just vacationing, enjoying uh, the weather, even though it was kind of rainy a couple of days, um, but we had a great time seeing uh, family and friends. Uh, I was really so proud of my wife Natalie. She was able to speak at a ladies' conference that was being hosted at my dad's church, Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Taylor's. And uh, I was there was several ladies that were speaking, sharing some words from Scripture, but also uh, giving testimonies of how God uh, used past events to make them who they are today, which is an amazing sort of thing to be able to look back on. This idea, uh, the sort of the theme of this event was hindsight is 2020. And I think similarly, um, you know, I've written about that theme here on the blog a couple of times, uh, especially over the last couple months. But I would say that that is an entirely faithful sort of act, if you will, a faithful practice to hold past events uh, for what they are, not trying to recolor the brokenness, but to accept the brokenness for what it is and to see it as God's method of molding and shaping and fashioning you into the image of his son. That's sort of what hindsight does. Hindsight is twenty twenty is the common phrase. I always like to say that hindsight is God's goodness, um, that when we look back at our lives, uh, maybe not immediately uh, we will recognize this, but I would say uh, when we look back at past events, uh, more often than not, I would say actually almost always we can see God's goodness clearly displayed, uh, even in events that seem terribly bad. <laughs> they seem terribly um, timed, uh, terribly sort of put together, and they seem to only be uh, wanting to get us down, get us discouraged, get us questioning and, and struggling in our faiths. But that's actually not what is going on at all. There's a lot more that's going on uh, than meets the eye. Uh, that's sort of a good segue because I wasn't even planning on having a sermon that went along with that theme, um, but it just happened to work out that way. So I was privileged to preach at my dad's church while I was there. Uh, actually, that sermon just posted on Wednesday, um, just a couple days ago, so I'll make sure to link that, but you can find it uh, entitled, This Thing Is From Me, which is an, a startling phrase that appears in the midst of 1 Kings chapter 12. Now, I've preached on this before at my church here at Stonington, um, but I, I went back to this sermon again, kind of tweaked it a little bit and fine-tuned it, and um, because I really think that that phrase 
and believing it and grasping and holding on to it that this thing is from me is the language of faith. I think that's what it means to be a faithful Christian, is to believe that even moments that appear uh, disparate, that appear as though they are something else, as though they are doing something else to us and to those around us, um, that actually all of these things are from the hands of God and His sovereignty. Which isn't to say that, you know, I I know that there are some folks who do not believe in Christianity and they would say, how can a God uh, uh, sort of of let these things sort of happen? Again, it's not to say that evil comes from God, but I would say that that is actually pretty accurate, that there is some evil that is allowed into our lives, and it's not to, um, it's not to make God seem uh, dour or dismal or hard nosed or anything like that. I, I think it's always uh, in sort of His providence, allowing us to see who really is God, uh, not us. We are on earth, as the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes says, and He is in heaven, and that's. Again, a very simple construct to declare, but I think it's actually one of the most profound things that we can uh, evidence, demonstrate, and grasp in ourselves, which is just the fact that we are earthlings, and there is only one Heavenly Father, and He's the one whose wisdom upholds this universe and keeps it proceeding and keeps this world from spinning off into oblivion. And so, when events that appear chaotic, that appear dismal, um, are manifested in our lifetimes. Um, There's a lot more that's going on in that moment than meets the eye. Um, And I would say that we can declare this thing is from me um, in, in saying that this event has been allowed into our lives according to the divine providence of God, that even when we don't understand that, faith clings to that. And I think that that's an entirely true statement um, based on the certainty of Scripture, based on the sort of revelation of who Jesus is, who says, trust me, uh, believe in me, this is the work of God, believe in me, the one who was sent from the Father. Um, And I would say that this is made more apparent when you realize the context from which that phrase is sort of extracted. So, 1 Kings 12, if you remember, I think I did a um, sort of uh, I talked through this sermon a little bit ago, I can't remember now, um, but uh, I'll just talk through it briefly again. So, if this is old hat, if you've heard this before, well, you're going to get it again, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> but in First Kings 12, if you don't remember, I'll try and just really briefly summarize it for you. Um, Solomon is dead. King Rehoboam uh, well, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is set to be king. Uh, he's being crowned uh, an anointed king in Shechem. And what happens is Jeroboam, a former member of King Solomon's court, comes back onto the scene. Um, he had been taking refuge in Egypt for some while because Solomon had wanted to kill him. So Jeroboam comes back and basically he becomes a sort of voice for the people, if you will. Uh, And he declares, hey, you know, your dad, King Solomon, he 
worked us really bad and he worked us and worked us and worked us and so we want we want better uh sort of work laws basically he's asking for labor reform essentially you could say that and he says we need to be treated better if we're going to be people that follow you as our new king so Rehoboam goes and he says, give me three days to think about what you're asking. And so then Rehoboam uh, consults a group of older men, as the King James puts it. He consults the, quote, old men. Uh, um, and they say, hey, uh, it's okay. Serve your people and they will serve you. It sounds like really sound wisdom. Uh, then Rehoboam goes and he also consults a group of younger men, his peers. It, I think in the King James it talks about how he has grown up with these guys. So it's a group of his contemporaries. And they basically say, no, don't do that. Don't listen to them. Don't acquiesce to any of their demands. Actually, what you need to do is double down on enforcement, on coercion, on intimidation. You need to force these people to serve you. And if they don't do that, then they can just get out of the way. And we don't have to do anything in terms of acquiescing to what these people are demanding. And so, rightly so, or, or not rightly so, but as naturally you might expect, uh, King Rehoboam, agrees to the option which makes him appear the strongest and the one that strokes his own ego, which is the latter. So he listens to the young guy's advice. He goes back, he convenes with Jeroboam and the rest of the tribes, and he basically gives a speech, hey, I'm not going to make your burden lighter. And actually in the King James, it says that, whereas my father Solomon whipped you uh, or or scorned you with whips, I'm going to uh, enforce you with whips that are actually scorpions. It says something to that effect. It, and basically the the whole gist of the, the, the speech and the message from King Rehoboam is that uh, you better buckle up because I'm going to be a lot more of an enforcer than my daddy. And I'm going to really put... Um, my stamp on this generation as its king, as the true and only monarch of Israel. This doesn't sit well, obviously, with the people of Israel, and Jeroboam leads sort of a coup, a revolt. So, ten tribes out of the twelve revolt with Jeroboam. They uh, force Rehoboam to flee back to Jerusalem, and the tribes of Judah and Benjamin sort of form a sort of new coalition as the other ten tribes are forming a new nation, which becomes uh, the uh, which leads to the dividing of the kingdoms. And so that's where you have it: the kingdoms are divided, and. While Rehoboam and the tribes of the people that make up the tribes of Benjamin and Judah are sort of licking their wounds, if you will, they're back in Jerusalem trying to design and and prepare the logistics for a counterattack to reclaim the throne of of a united Israel. What happens is a prophet comes onto the scene. This prophet is named Shemaiah, and he comes onto the scene declaring a really bold word. It This is actually one of my favorites. It's become, and maybe, I haven't, I don't have the whole Old Testament memorized, so maybe I can't say this <laughs> with too much of certainty, but I would say at least recently, uh, this little scene has become 
one of my favorites in the whole Old Testament, only because just remembering the moment. So, Shemaiah comes into the war room of Rehoboam, who is preparing his people to launch a massive assault to reclaim the throne of Israel. So, what's going to happen would be more bloodshed, more violence, more... uh, just more chaos and and, and and more scandal and strife in the midst of God's people of promise. So Shemaiah comes in and he declares this amazing word. So I can actually read those words from you for you. This is First Kings twelve, verses twenty two through twenty four. It says, But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, You shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord, and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. Again, what is going on, <laughs> if you think about it in context, uh, this word that Shemaiah shares is one that runs entirely counter to popular sentiment in that room. No one wants to lay down their swords. In fact, people are trying to unsheathe their swords in order to fight for what they think they deserve and what they think they are owed. And how they've been wronged, they want to take retribution on those tribes that wronged them. And rightly so, there's some justice that needs to happen, but Again, what God inserts into this moment through the voice of Shemaiah is an amazing declaration of his sovereignty and providence, which is to say that there are times when what we think is going on is not actually going on at all. Declaring this thing is from me is a moment of incredible grace where Rehoboam is actually forced, and not just forced, but he's encouraged, and he actually does eventually lay down these arms, and as it says, they go away. They don't turn and fight. This dividing of the kingdoms was bringing Israel to its low points, which would eventually culminate in their capture by the people of Babylon. And all of this is coming about because God's people abandoned him, uh, especially under Solomon. Many, many false gods, false themes of worship and false deities were brought to the fore and brought to uh, sort of the forefront of Israelite culture, all of which is very uh, a, a very... Uh, sort of predictable thing that has happened to them. This, again, is something that is being allowed by God as a form, I would say, judgment, but this judgment too is a grace. It's not judgment to get back at people, it's judgment to bring them to their knees to confess that there is only one true God, such as what is going to be um, uh, carried out through the ministry of Elijah later on, uh, the, in in very demonstrable ways, showing people, uh, showcasing the fact that there is one true God that is on the scene, and He is still in Israel's corner. And I think that that phrase, though, that is inserted into this moment, this thing is from me, is one that I haven't been able to escape, especially over the last. 24 months, we could say, maybe not that long, maybe, I I don't know. It it feels like we've been in this state of American culture that is fraught with disagreement, with distrust, distrust with distress, (laughs) 
at every, ever, almost everywhere you turn, there is something to get white knuckled over. There is something to get stressed about. Um, re- elections that are being recalled, the viruses that are being uh, m- that are mutating, uh, mandates that are seemingly uh, spelling the end of all things that we hold dear. <laughs> there is all kinds of things that we can see going on around us that are telling us this world is going to pot (laughs) and it's hard to disagree with what we see in front of us and i imagine that the people of israel uh, i imagine joshmo israel israelite who's on the fringes of this sort of moment he sees the kingdom fracturing and he's uh, imagine imagine this uh, a random israelite who's gone to synagogue, well, they didn't really have synagogue, but they've gone to the temple worship, they've heard the scriptures proclaimed, they've heard the voice of Moses through uh, through the, the declarations of these words, and the, that there's this promise coming, that the Israelite people are the people of promise, that they are going to bless nations. It's the Mosaic promise, it's the Abrahamic promise, it's all these things that they hold dear. How is this part of that plan? <laughs> And then comes Shemaiah and says, this thing is from Jehovah. I think that that's just a a moment that ought to stir us into realizing that we don't often have a good sense of what is going on in our moment either. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to rehash a lot of things that I've been writing about, but to me, I just see these themes popping up everywhere. What is this present moment for? What is 2021 for? To be honest with you, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why God would allow some of these things that he's allowing. Why he's allowing everything that we have been banking on to sort of crumble. <laughs> Maybe it's just that, to show us that what we've been banking on is capable of crumbling. To show us that he isn't. But what I mean to say is also this, it's that old saying, old only because it has come from uh, many generations ago, it's that old saying of J.R.R. Tolkien. And yeah, I'm going to throw some Tolkien in here. I'm, you know, I'm a hipster uh, hipster theologian. (laughs) I can throw some Tolkien in here. Um, Only to say this, that that Gandalf's quote-unquote sermon that he gives to Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, is one that I think that we ought to take to heart. Again, Frodo complains. He's bemoaning the fact that the ring of power that has been lost, that makes all things chaotic and violent and dark, makes the world broken, has been found in his time, he says. Why did this have to happen in my time, Frodo complains. And what does Gandalf say to him? He says to him, that is not for us to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And to me, this is what this is what this moment means. This is what this moment says. This is why we have this moment at all. It's to be reminded that this thing is from God, and all we have to decide is to be faithful, even when it doesn't make sense is to declare and say, this thing is from God, and I'm clinging to the certainty of his truth and of his providence, of his sovereignty, even when everything else appears opposite. 
This is a theme that I think you see brought to bear throughout almost all of scripture. I think it's been brought to bear throughout the last couple of years, especially in my own life. I've felt this, but I would say that it's not just me saying this. Listen to what David Clay, David Clay is a writer for Mockingbird, a ministry that I too have the privilege of writing for. And it's an article that is so timely and so true entitled, When Faith Fails to Make Sense. And in it, he is explaining Martin Luther's, I'm going to get this really terribly wrong, uh, this pronunciation, but it's Martin Luther's Anfechtungen, um, a German word which doesn't have a English equivalent, meaning a trial of faith, a temptation to despair, and an objective of salt from outside forces. And basically, it's just total despair from what you see going on around you. And what David sort of uh, encourages and sort of expounds is just the idea that faith is something that can carry on even when it doesn't make sense. And I'll let David uh, sort of carry the torch here. Listen as he writes, quote, God himself is finally responsible for an Anfechtungen. It is the Lord who permits or even sends experiences that seemingly contradict the Bible's proclamation that he is good and that he intends to save those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The believer's salvation and, really, his or her ability to keep on functioning even in this world depends on believing that God is good and that he keeps his promises even if, as Luther once pointed out, he does so in ways we would not have expected. Any confidence in ourselves is destroyed in the process. We finally have no recourse but to loudly and desperately hold God to his word. Christianity does not offer anyone an escape from the pain and uncertainty of being a human, Anfangtungen included. Christians, like everyone else, are forced to think the unthinkable from time to time. What Christianity does offer is the straightforward acknowledgement that these dark seasons will come and that, when they do, our survival is not dependent on manufacturing faith against all odds. End quote. In other words, faith makes a fool of what makes sense. It says, even when everything else appears contrary, God is still at work. God is still authoritative and providential and sovereign, and we can cling to the certainty of what he has declared about who he is and about what he has done and about what he is doing and about what is being accomplished, even in our time, even when we can't see it. We can cling to that because it is the declared word of God. It is certain. It is true. It is good even when it doesn't feel like it. Again, another Mockingbird writer, Sam Bush, he gets at this too in one of his latest articles for the site entitled Don't Say No, The Ludicrous Nature of Faith. Sam writes this, quote, What else is faith but one's hesitant surrender to God's insane experiment? What is it besides throwing caution to the wind and saying, okay, fine, of course, we are only open to the, sur uh, the absurd when all other art alternatives are exhausted. The birthplace of faith is often at the grave of our own strength and ability, end quote. And I would say to that, a hearty amen. Maybe that that's what God has been doing all along. 
bringing us to the graves of our own strength and ability to show us that we aren't strong and we aren't capable. That we don't have things figured out. That we don't have things in control. That we don't have things in the palms of our hands. That our fate isn't uh, in our ability to change or alter or anything like that. (laughs) Maybe it's to bring us to the point where we have to say, God, I don't understand, but I'm clinging to the truth of God's word, even when it appears untrue. My friends... I think this is the point of Scripture, showing us, revealing to us, the certain foundation of not just our faith, but our entire lives is the certain words of God. They are the anchor for our souls, as the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 6.19. They are what keeps us from being tossed about with every wind of doctrine, as Paul says, but not just doctrine, that keeps us being tossed about with every human fancy that says, this is what life means, this is what will get you, get you through. It, it's the words of God alone that keep us anchored, that keep us moored and fastened to something solid. What does the psalmist say? You've plucked me out of the miry pit and planted my feet upon a rock. My friends, hold fast to faith. I don't know, perhaps, what you are enduring in your current lives, what your circumstances are telling you, what your circumstances are saying. I don't know what condition your faith is in. But there is certainty to be found in the words of God that are certain and true, no matter what the day holds, no matter what it brings, no matter what comes. Hold fast to the words of faith and rest in the providence of the sovereign God who is for you and who is never not for you. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Ministry Minded Podcast. I hope you've been blessed by this episode. I hope you'll subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, You can get this podcast wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for your encouragement, for your support, for commenting and subscribing and all those those wonderful things. And uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.